Good to see everybody today. Glad you are here and welcome to Centerpoint Church. If you are new with us, uh, thanks for joining us. My name is John. I'm lead pastor here. And uh, we're about loving and leading people to life-changing connection with Christ. And I'm praying that that life-changing connection is beginning to happen for you. And as I uh, get ready to bring the word tonight, the first thing I want to do is share an important update. And uh, it's this. You know, most of us are aware that we are seeing a, a, a pretty strong surge of coronavirus cases in our micro region. All of a sudden, it's not way over there or out there somewhere, but instead it's right in our very own backyard. It's Riverside County. You know, it's, as we speak right now, the uh, ICU availability is at uh, 0% in Riverside County, and local hospital administrators are pleading with leaders in the community to do whatever we possibly can to help uh, make sure that the problem doesn't get worse. Okay, so, so that's going on in the community around us. But at the same time, what you may not know is that uh, at the same time, it's brought, been brought to my attention, not just brought to my attention, I'm well aware that we have had a good number of our very own CP uh, core volunteers and core staff members that have been diagnosed with uh, or have been exposed to somebody who has contracted COVID-19 and are in self-quarantine. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about a good number. And uh, that leaves us with a, a team that is uh, pretty thin. And then we've got a good number of volunteers that are also very, very hesitant about serving in person right now. That's just kind of the reality of what we're looking at, what we're dealing with. And it's a, a pretty stark circumstance if you're in my shoes. And you kind of you kind of have to respond to it. You don't get the liberty of just ignoring it and sort of whistling and hoping it all gets better, especially when there's, uh, there's, there's real risk for people. And, and, and so I wanted to just share with you, you know, our team has been taking in all of the factors I just described to you and praying, Lord, what do we do? We're yours and your church is yours. And yet we've got a sacred trust to lead. So, Lord, what do you want us to do? And so I and our senior leadership team and our board have been asking God that question. Lord, what do you want us to do? And the first thing that comes to mind is really the first word of our mission statement, which is love. Loving and leading people to life-changing connection with Christ. That's our mission. But it starts with love. And love takes initiative. And love protects and love doesn't kick back and say, well, that's your problem. That's somebody else's problem. Love instead does what it can uh, to take care of others. And so I've had a distinct sense that uh, the Holy Spirit is speaking in this moment and saying it's time to love well and to love in a different way than we have been in the last few weeks. And in particular, I, I have heard and sensed the Spirit of God saying it's time to pause on the in-person gatherings for a few weeks and let this wave pass. And I know that that's, uh, that's uh, interesting news to share. And I want you to know, just come to that decision. And that's why we're still here uh, tonight and tomorrow morning. But when you get a sense of the Holy Spirit's leading, you run it by others who also bear authority. And you weigh it together. And discern, is this Holy Spirit speaking or is this just, you know, your pastor feeling wimpy, you know? And I can assure you it's not. In fact, it kind of, it kind of aches to me to even make that kind of decision again. Uh, and especially because here's the, the implication of that, that uh, recognizing that we, we don't really have the team in place 
We, we don't. We, I'm just sharing that with you. We don't have the team in place to be able to safely carry out the large group gathering like a Christmas Eve would entail. We just don't. And, and I need to do what's, uh, what's right in terms of providing the love and protection for our, our team members, our church members, uh, our congregation at large, and the community as a whole. And while there might be some of us who are saying, I don't care about no stinking coronavirus, there's actually quite a lot of people who do care about it and will really be uh, aff afflicted if something were to happen. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed about what I'm sharing with you, but I, I sense that it's the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it is also our best discernment of how to respond uh, to all of the factors that have been brought before us uh, in this moment. It's, it's really both. And so I've been wading through my own sense of grief and disappointment uh, about this because, man, I, I, I'm like anybody else. I love the tradition of being able to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ together at church with all of the traditions and all of the beauty and all of the, the fun. And, and the truth is our team has been working really for months to create as, as much of a beautiful and fun, enjoyable Christmas experience as we could even in the year of covid uh, and so it, it, it aches you know, for me personally to say, and we are pausing on that this year. But it is what we need to do in light of everything that I just uh, shared with you. And so uh, here's what I want you to know. We are pausing our in-person gatherings starting on Christmas Eve, this coming Thursday, and uh, for the following several weeks. And then our intention is to uh, come back together for in-person gatherings outside like we are now in early January. And I'm asking you to pray with me that God would give us the gift of seeing the surge diminish and to see uh, a good report come. And part of why we're doing what we're doing is so that that'll happen. And at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and at the discernment of wisdom by those who have the authority and the responsibility to carry out a decision in this regard. And so uh, I want to invite you to, uh, to embrace with me, first of all, that, oh, man, this kind of stinks. This is not what I was hoping for. And I'm right there with you. I'm first in line on that front. But at the same time, uh, as much as it's disappointing, because uh, none of us were thinking, man, we're not going to get together uh, at church for Christmas. I do want to ask you to recognize we are going to get together for Christmas as church. We're going to do it at home. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. This is what we're doing. We are going online only for a few weeks. It's a few weeks. In the vast scheme of things, it's a blip on the eternal radar. But we are going to be online only for a few weeks, and that includes Christmas. And so on Christmas, we are live streaming our Hope for Everyone Christmas uh, at uh, uh, 3 and 4.30 and 6 o'clock p.m. And so on December 24th, Christmas Eve, here's what I want you to do. I want you to decide, all right, which one are we going to be a part of? Are we doing 3 or 4.30 or 6 o'clock? And I want you to let your family members know. Tell everybody, hey, put it on the calendar. We are meeting in the family room at 3 or at 4.30. And dads, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make the hot chocolate or the hot tea. And I want you to invite, come on, don't, don't be so heavy hearted. Somebody could say, ha, 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 or something, right? I want you to make it fun for your family and gather uh, five minutes before the service begins and give God your worship together with your whole church family in a thousand different locations throughout our valley and beyond and make it a family affair to worship the Lord for Christmas. That's what we're going to be doing. And here's what I'd love to ask you to do. Since we can't be in 
the same room together, maybe we could let each other know how we're celebrating Christmas. So maybe when your family gets in the family room and the worship's going, just take a little picture and post it online and tag my center point so we can share that together and recognize, hey, we're all enjoying Christmas in our own family rooms, but as one body together. So that's what I'm asking you to do. Also, uh, our team has uh, created or, or will be by later this week some photo ops, kind of like we would often do if we were going to gather in person. And that's not a large crowd event. That's one at a time. So I would invite you to come by on Wednesday uh, and bring your family and take a picture in one of the different photo ops that we'll have set up on campus. And on Wednesday from 3 to 6, we'll have some volunteers that will grab your phone and take your family's picture at those photo ops if you'd like. That's just a way that uh, we can make the most of it and enjoy what we can uh, for Christmas. So here's what I want you all to do right now because it hurts to make an announcement like this. And I've been already feeling enough hurt. I want you to put your big old smile on for one second and give it to me just once, just once, just at least once, right? I didn't want to make that announcement, but it is the leading of the Holy Spirit. I need you to know that. Discerned through the board who also bears responsibility in the eyes of the Lord. So as much as I want to say we're free to feel a little disappointed, it's also important that we, we rally together around when there's a moment of Holy Spirit's leading, even if it wasn't what we wanted. Come on, somebody say amen. Somebody online, tap, type amen into the chat and let somebody know you're here. All right. Well, I want to get into uh, the message. And, um, you know, a, a couple of years ago, actually a few years ago now, Anne and I had a chance to go to Israel. And one of the most memorable things in my life was being able to be in the Holy Land. And in particular, one of the things that I enjoyed the most, that made the biggest impression on me, was being able to go inside of Hezekiah's tunnels. And probably if you haven't been there, you've not heard of this. But Hezekiah, the king in the Old Testament, instructed for these tunnels to be built to convey water from one area into the city of Jerusalem. And those tunnels are still there even to this day. And at least at the time that I went to Jerusalem, uh, you were able to go actually and step into and walk through the almost half a mile distance of Hezekiah's tunnels. Thing is, the tunnels are only about two and a half feet wide. And only about four and a half feet, maybe five feet tall at most. And pitch black. And we only, I mean, there's water literally up to our knees. And we only had these flimsy little flashlights that were barely lighting it up. And at the beginning, that was okay because there was some ambient light still kind of working its way in. But we got to a point about a quarter of the way into the tunnels where it was pitch black and we couldn't hardly see anything. And these flimsy little dim flashlights weren't doing any good. And one of them was on the fritz. And uh, we were starting to, you know, kind of go crazy a little bit. I mean, it kind of happens, right, when you can't see anything and you're not sure what's coming this way, what's coming that way, what's going on. You, you get a little claustrophobic. It, it messes with your mind a little bit. And in the middle of that, that tunnel, I, I, was, I was feeling uh, like I was going crazy. I was scared. I was worried. I was concerned. And I have never been so grateful to see the light of day as I was when I came to the end of that walk through Hezekiah's tunnel there under Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But you know what? Being in the middle of that tunnel, uh, almost unable to see completely, gave me just a little tiny taste of what it might be like to be without sight, to be blind. And the scripture we're going to turn to today is in Matthew chapter 20. And the headline would be, Jesus heals two blind men. And uh, before I jump into the Bible passage that we're going to read in Matthew 20, 
I just want you to imagine what it would be like to be blind. I mean, that's why I shared that story is because it's the closest thing I have in my mind uh, to relate to what it would be like to be blind and to not have any sense of what's going on, what's coming, what happened. It is difficult, to say the least. And I had that experience of, of, in a sense, temporary blindness that gave me a deep appreciation, gratitude really for simply the ability to see and not everybody has that ability. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, there's a couple of guys who didn't have that capacity to see. And these, uh, these guys were, were there by the side of the road. Jesus has been in Jericho, and it's near the end of his earthly ministry. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And nobody else would know that it's about to be the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. To most people around, he's just Jesus the teacher, Jesus the miracle worker, and Jesus the healer. And so Jesus is traveling from Jericho on to Jerusalem. And in Matthew 20, uh, verse 29, this is, uh, this is what busts out. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The Lord rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Sorry, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. Of course, we're going to talk about the blind that were healed. But the first thing that I want to talk about is that crowd. All right, so, so there's this crowd that's gathering around. And, and it says this crowd is following Jesus. And we don't know exactly who's in that crowd. Maybe it's uh, some people who were mad about the Roman opposition and occupation. And maybe it was some people who loved the temple and the temple priests. Or maybe it was some people who were angry about the temple priests for some reason. Maybe it was a bunch of people that were just wanting things to be better in their lives. Maybe it was some people who were having some trouble on the home front Maybe it was some people who were legitimate followers of Jesus. Maybe it was a bunch of others who were just curious about Jesus. But I know for sure there had to be some in that crowd who were legitimate uh, disciples. I mean, they were following Jesus as he's leaving Jericho. And I, I see this crowd, and I recognize that this crowd, they've heard about Jesus. They, they've seen what Jesus does. They know what Jesus is about, and, and they know that people need Jesus, but these two individuals that really need Jesus in a profound way, they shut down. And it's interesting to me that we think cancel culture is something new, but cancel culture has been going on for millennia, hasn't it? Because there's something about a crowd that gets whipped into a frenzy together that just tends to shut down certain voices and shut down certain opinions and shut down uh, certain ideas. And it is a tendency in the crowd, isn't it, in particular, to sometimes shut down the cry, the legitimate cry that people might have of need for Jesus. And that's what's happening in this moment. I, I would have thought that this crowd might have gotten it right. I mean, there's people in this crowd I know because they had been in Jericho with Jesus. They've heard his teaching. 
They've heard about what happened with Zacchaeus and all of the rest. I am shocked that this crowd got it so wrong and that just silenced and shut down the voices of these people who needed the touch of Jesus, these two uh, blind men. Now, here's the observation I want to make. The crowd doesn't always get it right. The crowd isn't always correct. You can silently nod or you can even vocally say amen or type it into the chat, but the crowd isn't always correct. I think 2020 has shown us that again and again in so many different ways. But we find it here in the scripture too. The crowd isn't always correct. The crowd can easily develop a mind of its own and caught up in a bunch of group think we don't always make our best decisions. Caught up in a, in a mob mentality, we don't always discern the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the crowd often doesn't reflect the voice of the Lord. Are you with me? Because we heard the voice of the crowd before we heard the voice of the Lord. And which one was right? And were they in agreement? Yeah, no, they weren't. And so we see this, uh, this truth. The crowd isn't always correct. See, this crowd seemed to be saying, in a sense, to these blind men, your needs are insignificant. What you're trying to get Jesus to do isn't going to happen. What you think you deserve, you don't have a right to. You're not worthy of Jesus doing that for you. You don't get to bother Jesus with your little request. Besides, you've been blind like forever. <laughs> Just get over it already. We, we have, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the kind of thing that seemed to be coming from the crowd in this moment. The crowd knew best, didn't it? The crowd knew what was supposed to happen, didn't they? Except it, it wasn't. What would have been from God's heart for this moment? I just wonder, though, if it's a little more personal than that. I wonder if maybe there's some crowd type of voices that are drowning out your need that needs to come before Jesus. I wonder if there's some crowd voices that are saying something similar to you. Hey, your request doesn't really matter to God. What you're asking for isn't something he can really do anything about. Don't be bothering Jesus with that petty concern of yours, like that kind of thing. I wonder if maybe there's some voices like that that are the crowd type of voices coming into our own lives that we need to be able to discern for what they are. Not the voice of God, but the voice of the crowd, and we've already determined the crowd isn't always correct. Yeah. So the crowd isn't always correct. We, we recognize that. But in verse 31, it says, the crowd rebuked them. And told them to be quiet. But what did they do? I love this. It says, they, say it with me. They shouted all the louder. Come on, say it with me. Ready, say it. They shouted all the louder. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. I love the fact that they did not let that incorrect crowd voice drown them out. But instead, they rose up and cried out all the louder. And I think sometimes you and I need to take a cue from these two blind men and allow ourselves to do likewise and to recognize who the Lord is. Because it seems to me like the crowd was trying to be the Lord in this, in this situation, huh? The crowd was trying to say, we're going to tell you what you have to do. We're going to say what is going to happen right now. But it was like as though the blind men refused to accept the crowd as, quote, the Lord. But instead, they said who was Lord. 
And it was the Lord who was Lord. Even louder. Son of David, Lord, have mercy on us. And they cried louder and louder. But I want you to just imagine this, right? Imagine this for a moment. Imagine it's you. Imagine you're the one who's blind. And it's you and a buddy. And you're both blind. And you're up against this situation that you can't even see. And, and you've got opposition on every single side. And they're invisible to you. You don't know how much danger there is. You don't know how much ferocity there is. You don't know what's going to be coming at you, what's going to be coming from behind you. You just know that there's opposition on every side, and that opposition is coming your way. What do you do? Maybe you let that opposition just snuff out your candle, you know? Maybe you let that opposition just cause you to shrivel back up into your little carpet and go back into the corner on the side of the road. But, but maybe... Instead of that, you let that opposition drive you. Maybe you let that opposition become like a, a log that's being put on a fire. <laughs> Maybe you let that opposition be like gas being put into the tank. Maybe you let what you're facing fuel your faith. And, and that is something I want to say to you. It's a second observation coming out of Matthew 20. Let what you're facing fuel your faith. Let what you're facing fuel your faith. I want you to tell somebody sitting nearby, tell them, let what you're facing fuel your faith. Or just say it. Just say it. Let what you're facing fuel your faith. Say it again like you mean it. Come on, somebody. Say it. Let what you're facing fuel your faith. I think it's a resolve. As I'm, as I'm reading through this scripture and... And seeing these two blind men, I'm recognizing an opportunity to learn something. And it's a way of approaching Jesus. And it includes allowing the opposition, the challenge, the pain, the struggle, the difficulty to move me closer to him. And I'm going to do it. That's my resolve. I'll let what I'm facing fuel my faith. I want you to say it like that. Make it personal. Say it. I'll let what I'm facing fuel my faith. That's right. Oh, maybe you're not facing a crowd of people shouting you down when you're trying to make your way to Jesus. But I wonder if maybe there's opposition or things that you are facing that you do need to let fuel your faith rather than snuff it out. I'm talking about the family relationships that are just falling apart right now. And you're not sure what to do about it. That would be something to, to let what you're facing fuel your faith. I'm talking about the health circumstance that seems to be growing in severity and difficulty. That would be something. Let, let that what you're facing fuel your faith. I'm talking about what's going on with your finances and you don't know how you're going to make it and, and, and whether you've got enough or not. Uh, that would be something. Let what you're facing fuel your faith. You can let it fuel your fears. You can let it fuel your worries. You can let it fuel your anxieties. You can let it pour fuel into the tank of the what-if train and ride that what-if train all the way to losing your mind. But I'm telling you, let what you're facing fuel your faith. That's something positive that can come from the challenges and the difficulties that you're dealing with. I see what's going on in the circumstances, and in the circumstances that these blind men do not let the crowd drown them out, do not let the opposition literally telling them, be quiet, stop them from coming to Jesus. Instead, they get all the louder with their faith and their desire for Jesus. Come on, thank you, God, for that. I want you to hear me on this. Our desperation 
gets Jesus' attention and move him to his compassion. I mean, that's just what we see here. We already read the whole passage. We already know how it works out. But I want you to see that for what it is. Take that lesson away. Our desperation gets Jesus' attention and draws out his compassion. I, I love that this happens in this moment. And, and in a way, our faith is our opposition against the opposition that's opposing us. I'm going to say that again until somebody shouts amen. Our faith is our opposition against the opposition that's opposing us. Yeah, yeah, you said it. Somebody typed amen too. I felt that right there too. I want you to just hear me on this. Our faith is our opposition to the counter assignment that's come against us. And so let what you're facing fuel your faith. In verse 32, again, it said, Jesus stopped and called out to them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, we want our sight. Now, this is, this is an important thing to recognize. A couple of times now, they had already called out, and they had said, Son of David, Lord, have mercy on us. And as they cried out in that particular way, Lord, have mercy on us, here's what they were saying. It's this phrase, Kyrie eleison. And, and if you are Gen X and older, I'm going to just throw this out. Maybe you know this one. It's Kyrie eleison down the road that I must travel. Kyrie eleison in the darkness of the night. Come on, I needed somebody who was my age or older to just whistle along with me or say, hey, hey, amen. I, maybe I didn't sing it well enough. But you know that. It's Kyrie eleison. And it's this phrase, right? It's this phrase that, that means, Lord, have mercy. But it's a kind of generic phrase. Because this word eleison, have mercy, it means literally to give aid to somebody who's afflicted. And it's a kind of a, of a rote phrase that people would just throw out there. But it's very bland. It's very generic. And Jesus heard it. It did get his attention. He did, he did respond. But it was like as though he wasn't willing to settle for their generic sort of bland, uh, can you just render some aid to the afflicted? He wanted them to get specific. And I wonder if maybe it's because he, he recognizes, okay, you can have an experience of your faith in which you, you receive a generic blessing for your generic kind of a, a request and your generic kind of faith. Or you can begin to grow in your faith by getting more specific in moments like this and letting the exact issue that you're coming to me with be made known. And it's not that there's anything wrong with a blanket request for his mercy, but there's just something here about Jesus saying, I, I, want, I want you to know that I want to know about the specifics. It's like as though Jesus is saying, I want you to know that I care about the specifics. And that even though it's obvious, because come on, it's Jesus. He's not asking them <laughs> for his benefit about what uh, they want, he would want them, uh, they would want him to do. He's asking for their benefit, that they would get in touch with his specific compassion, his specific love and goodness uh, for them. And so again, it says, Jesus stopped and called to them, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they, they answered, we want our sight. And then it says in verse 34, and Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately 
they received their sight and followed him. Would you all just say immediately? Right where you are, even at home, just say it out loud, immediately. Now, this is a word that, that I have seen moments of in my own life and in ministry. Moments of immediately, where in ways that go beyond comprehension, in a moment, and some of us have experienced that even as we've gathered together, in, in those immediate moments where Jesus' touch just comes, and a miracle happens, and a healing occurs, and a breakthrough uh, is, is at hand. But I think a lot of us have also lived with the painful tension of not immediately. And, and I, I want to celebrate the immediately that took place in this particular moment for these couple of blind men. But I also want to recognize this. These are people who had been blind for ages, for longer than we even have an awareness of. Years, most likely. And so I don't want the word immediately to make it sound like these guys hadn't walked with the tension of waiting forever, like maybe a lot of us have in different ways in our lives. But immediately, nevertheless, is something that I celebrate in this passage of Scripture because it indicative, it's indicative to me of the way that Jesus can and does sometimes move. Sometimes he does something immediately, exactly according to what the cry is. And these blind men said, we want our sight. And immediately they saw. But what I also want to, to recognize is it was his compassion that motivated him to touch them in whatever way he did choose to touch them. His compassion. His great love. One translation says he felt sorry for them. I prefer the word compassion. And I'm grateful for it. And, and I want to urge you this way today. It's the third part of my message. It's just simply this. Would you trust Jesus to meet your desperation with his compassion? Trust Jesus to meet your desperation with his compassion. I don't know what your desperation is carrying right now, but I do believe that in Jesus, there is a compassion that can meet you right at your point of desperation. So cry out to him in your own way and see what he will do. Okay, let me just be transparent for a moment. I'm going to go out on a limb and share something with you, but I was out, obviously, for, for four or five weeks because of a surgery in my spinal I had longed for an immediately with regards to the tumor in my spinal cord. And, and I didn't experience the immediately with regard to that. And instead, uh, I experienced his compassion leading me to the medical intervention surgery. Anyway, long story short, after the surgery, there were some real complications for me. And, and it was uh, radiculopathy, some damage in the nerves because it's a spinal cord. You don't mess with that and not end up you know, getting into something. And uh, I, I was extremely, this is an understatement really, miserable after the surgery. I, I honestly felt like I was at, at death's door. I don't think that's an overstatement. It's how I felt. I was ex in extreme excruciating pain because of the, uh, the nerve damage. I couldn't walk. I couldn't get up. Uh, extreme fire and pain and stabbing daggers in my legs to the point that it was making me scream. I mean, a level 9, level 10 on the 1 to 10 scale. And in that desperation, I kind of put out the SOS. Maybe some of you saw my message saying, I need you to pray for me. Uh, and, uh, and I'm so grateful for so many people saying, we'll do it. We'll pray for you. Really grateful for that. And I want to share with you kind of what happened in, in that moment or, or in, in that, uh, that week. 
I had a distinct moment in my absolute and total misery where I'm crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me, except in my own way, in my own words. Have mercy on me. I'd already asked you to be praying, and I believe you were. And in this misery where, you know, sometimes you reach pain and misery so bad you just feel like you'd almost rather die, right? And I know that sounds extreme to say something like that, but it's why I said, please pray for me. And I'm in this moment, you know, laying there on my couch just in total misery. Lord, have mercy on me. And I felt like I heard the Lord say, come up here. And in a moment, here's what happened for me. In a moment, I felt the Lord drawing me into what I can only describe as an experience of being carried up to what we would think of as as heaven. I know I'm going out on a limb to share this with you, but it's my experience. And and I, I was on my couch, but my spirit within me was lifted Lifted to literally what we would think of as heaven. And I'll describe what I experienced. I was sitting, I I was drawn to sit at the edge of a river. With my legs dangling in the water of the river. And the river was flowing out from the throne room of the temple of, of, of heaven. And it was flowing out. And I could see over here, like, just untold numbers of kids just laughing and splashing and playing in the river and and from over here this sound that i can only remember and recall and think of as total euphoria the sound the sound of total euphoria of those who are closest to the lord just enjoying his presence this is my my experience that day and and i felt like i sensed jesus saying just let your feet be in my river and, and I recalled the words from Ezekiel 47. It says, and this river will bring, will bring healing wherever it flows. And it, it's that river. <laughs> and I just felt like the Lord kept on saying, just, just kick, kick your legs around in the river. And these legs that if anyone were to, I couldn't even put on a shoe, not even a sock. I couldn't even put a blanket over them. They just it, it hurt so bad. I couldn't move them. After this, it seemed like an hour. I think it was maybe only about five minutes. But, but this moment, and I sensed Jesus coming alongside of me, sitting down next to me, you know, just sitting next to me, and, and saying things that go beyond words, but just his own presence, his arm around me with his comfort, with his touch, speaking to me about all kinds of different things that I needed to hear from him about. And, and then you know, after a while, this moment ended. And it's one of those moments I just will never forget in all my life. But all I know is that after that moment, the extreme pain in my legs diminished so much. I mean, almost entirely to this moment. I mean, you see me. I'm able to walk. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking pain meds. I'm not, you know, writhing in pain like I would have been just before that moment. And, and this was the compassion of Jesus for me. And, and I did, in a sense, I'm sharing with you what I lived through. Let what I'm facing fuel my faith. It was either going to fuel my my desire to give up or it was going to fuel my, my faith, my trust in Jesus and my, and my trust in his compassion. Uh, I, I wish that I would have had a moment like that before the surgery in which I could have jumped into the river and had all of the whole thing zapped. I don't know why it didn't work out that way. I, that's one of those questions that I will experience 
a, a satisfying answer to only in eternity. And I'm okay with that. I really am. <laughs> because I recognize something. I recognize that the weight of the trial and the cost of the trial becomes in and of itself a sacrificial offering. And I can only offer him that costly offering when there is something excruciatingly trying and difficult. I don't want that, but I am going to relish the value that it affords me. So trust Jesus to meet your desperation with his compassion. His compassion may be delivered to you in an immediately, just like it was for those blind men on the side of the road there in Jericho. Or his compassion may be delivered to you in a mysterious way that doesn't line up with the way you would have scripted it. But his compassion will carry you. Trust him for it. And so for somebody today, I want to encourage you to trust Jesus to meet your desperation with his compassion, uh, specifically that you might receive his salvation. I mean, for somebody right now, you're just kind of checking things out. It's Christmas. You're trying to make sense of what to do with this life and with the stuff going on in your heart. And, and really what you need is the compassion of Jesus that comes in the form of, of washing away guilt, washing away the shame and guilt of sin and allowing you to be forgiven. And receiving that gift of salvation from Jesus is the greatest compassion any human being could ever receive. Because what it means is it's not just about being healed of a temporary ailment for a moment in a physical body for, that lasts, you know, a, a, for a few years. But instead it's a, a compassion that allows you to be healed of an eternal ailment that would last forever and lead to an eternal torment. And that compassion is offered and it comes as you would cry out, like those blind men did, saying, Lord, have mercy. And for any of us who are believers in Jesus, all that means is that at some moment, there was a point in time when we cried out and said, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me, save me, heal me, forgive me. And he has done it, and he will do it. And so if this is new for you, and this is what I desire for you, that you would cry out in the same way, maybe for the first time, saying, Lord, have mercy, and that you would receive sight, spiritual sight, spiritual sight, that you would be able to see your sin for what it is, something that would totally and completely separate you from God for all eternity if it isn't dealt with. I really would pray that that kind of a sight would be given to you, and that you would have spiritual sight enough to also see Jesus offering his life in total sacrifice for you in his death on the cross and that you would see Jesus bursting out from the grave in resurrection life and power with an offer to give you the gift of eternal life by which you would be saved now and forever. I, I am praying that you, would, that you would have spiritual sight given to you and you would cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me and that you'd receive, maybe others of you, if you're already a believer, you'd receive revelation. That God would allow you to simply know him better, receive him more, experience him in increasing measure. I'm praying for you that you'd receive his healing touch. I want to pray right now that for some of us, God would do 
uh, whatever he wants to do in this moment. And so let's take a moment and let's pray together. And so join me and let's talk to God for a few minutes. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for a simple moment there by uh, the road to Jer outside of Jericho. A couple of guys just crying out, Lord, have mercy on us. And that you did. You had mercy. Your compassion moved you to have mercy. And so, Lord, I pray that right now some of us would maybe even for the first time cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And that we would once and for all turn from our sin and our guilt and turn to you and receive the forgiveness that you offer. But while we're praying together, if, if you are with me, maybe you're joining online or you could be in person, but you would say, this is all so new for me. I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to begin. You begin right here. By turning from your sin. You can't fix your sin. You need to be saved and turn to Jesus. And these words that we've been saying again and again, Lord, have mercy on me. You say them to Jesus right now. I mean, just start like that. Just say it maybe with me. Lord, have mercy on me. And, and then just click it up a notch and just say to him, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And just say it. Jesus Christ. I believe in you. I'm asking you to forgive me and save me. I know that I can't fix myself. I need you to forgive me, and I'm asking for that now. Jesus, I give you my life. Just say it to him. Jesus, I receive the gift of new life right here and right now. Okay, while we're all still praying, if this is you, and this is uh, the first time you've ever said yes to Jesus and asked Jesus to forgive you and save you, I want to just connect with you so that we can uh, make sure to help you in this journey. Would you just raise your hand if you're saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. You raise your hand, or if you're online, click on the button for committing your life, making this commitment to Jesus, or just type into the comments, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And let us know about that because we want to help you walk out this new faith in Jesus in community together so you can really grow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And God, now I also pray for uh, any of us who are kind of like those blind guys by the side of the road. And maybe it's not physical blindness or maybe it is, but we have our own issues of one kind or another that we need your compassion for. And there's been all kinds of voices drowning us out, our own voices of doubt and unbelief, uh, uh, voices of people around us saying, ah, that'll never happen. Why don't you just accept? But Lord, I'm praying that you would allow us to cut through the crowd right now and to ask you for your compassion to move in a mighty way. And so for somebody right now, this is your moment to say, Lord, have mercy on me. And in this moment, you know what you need from him. Maybe it's in the relationship. Maybe it's in the situation with your business. Maybe it is in your body. But right now, right where you're sitting, whether you're online or in person, I want you to name that thing and say, Lord, have mercy on me for, and fill in the blanks. Could you do it just for a moment? I want you to just take 40 seconds right now, and maybe it's more than one thing. But everybody, lift your voice. I don't think everybody has it all together that we don't need his compassion on something. So lift your voice right now all across this room and in every room online. Just say it. Lord, have compassion on me for. Lord, have compassion on me for. And fill in the blanks. Say what it is. Say what it is.
I sense the Lord saying right now in this moment to somebody in particular, I know how afraid you are. And I am strengthening you right now. It's like what I saw is something like the staff that Moses would use. And it's just striking that fear. So that it's just swept aside from off of your life. Right in an instant it happened. That's how I saw it. And for somebody, maybe that resonates for you. And you say, dear God, please, I need that and I receive that. This is just a simple prophetic word of knowledge. And you can either say, I receive that, that's for me, or not. Lord, what else? We're asking for your compassion in our minds, bodies, souls, and spirit. You call us to love you, to love the Lord our God with our mind and all our heart and all our soul and all our strength. And so I'm praying for your touch, your compassion on all of the above so we can love you our best. Lord, we need your compassionate touch. I just simply saw a picture of, of somebody, like you're, you're stuck in a corner, like you've been banging your head against this wall and that wall, this wall and that wall, this wall and that wall, like you feel stuck, trapped, you're not sure how, to, how you're going to make it, you can't make it this way and you can't make it that way, you can't make it this way, you can't make it that way. And what I saw is like the Lord standing right behind you, coming behind you, grabbing hold of your shoulders and saying, my daughter, look. And turning aside, and you see this, there's this horizon then in front of you. And it's like the Lord gesturing to this horizon and saying, I, I have so much more. And it wasn't ever about whether it was that corner or that corner. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you'd give somebody, some of us, the faith to say, yes, okay. And, and I'll trust you to carry me through in that, new, in that direction, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What else do you want to do to manifest your compassion, God? I feel like in this moment, because listen, just because whether we saw the immediately in our own life or not, we never stop asking him for his touch on our physical bodies. If you're with me in, in person or if you're online and you need his touch on your physical body, you need him to touch you and bring healing to your physical body. I want to pray for you. If you're saying, man, I just found out about this, or I'm, I'm living with this pain, I can't stand it, it's grinding me down, and you want the touch of Jesus, his compassion, right now I want you to lift your hand or type into the comments and say, I need his touch in my body. You can even say what it's for in the comments, let us know, but keep your hand up for a moment, okay? If you need his touch in your physical body for something very particular, and it may be that it was chronic pain that you've been living with. It keeps you from even sleeping. It, it's a diagnosis that seems to have the shadow of death kind of creeping over you because of it. Keep your hand up for a moment. Lord, I pray for your healing touch to come even right now. And even in this moment, as soon as we, we lifted our hands, Lord, I believe you saw our, our faith. And you, you saw us, Lord, that, that we're allowing what we're facing to fuel our faith. And we're not going to back down. We'll let our cry get louder still. We'll take our cue from a couple of blind guys in Jericho. We will not quit asking you, God, for your touch on our bodies. And so, Lord, we're asking for your touch on our bodies. Those of us who have our hand raised, what we need from everybody else who's got it going pretty well is we need you to pray for us. So come on and do it. Come on, be a church. Be a church and lift your voice and at least murmur something and say, God, I pray for these people that have a need that you touch them. Just could you do, just do that? Just like use your voice for a moment. You cry out. Be a good crowd. <laughs> Be a kind of a crowd that would pray and ask God to touch some of us that need his touch. Would you? 
I'm waiting to hear somebody. I'm waiting to hear somebody. You, you, you're in the comments, you type it out. God, touch this person. You see someone's prayer request, tag them, pray for them, even in the, even in the comments. Lord, we're trusting you to bring your touch to our physical bodies. And we're believing you, God, that just like there was an immediately kind of a moment for at least a couple of people there in Jericho, that maybe there'll be an immediately for even a couple of us. And so if you're joining us online and you felt right now the, the power of God came and touched your body, tell somebody. Put it in the comments and say, it happened. And just describe it, what God did. We want to celebrate that. Those of you who just had a hand raised... If you had your hand raised and you felt that God touched your body and brought an immediately to you, where you can literally sense the difference, and, and I'm not pulling your arm, I'm just asking you, if you felt that God touched you and you can sense a difference in your body, what I want you to do right now is raise two hands, because we want to know about it. I, thank you, Jesus. If you're in the back, you can't see this, but there's at least one person who's saying, he did it for me. He touched me. And you know what? You have your own experience, and she's got hers. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for your touch in this moment. Thank you, Jesus, that you still do miracles. Thank you, Jesus, that your kingdom is an unshakable kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that your love is unfailing. Thank you, Jesus, that immediately still take place. Thank you, Jesus, that your compassion still moves you to touch our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness that manifests in our lives in so many beautiful ways. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you. And all of us together, we say amen.